Good morning, church. Today we're going to read from God's holy word in two places. So you might want to find the second one first and put your finger there and then go back to the first one. Second one is going to be Mark 16, verses 1 through 6. But we're going to start with Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 12. Isaiah 53, starting with verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was caught, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Mark 16, starting with verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they lay him? This is the word of the Lord. I'm just going to take it in for a minute, see some new faces, new old faces, some first-time faces, the balcony sitters and the common sitters. Nice. If you are a guest today or you're returning for the first time in a long time, what a great day to rediscover church on Easter Sunday on the most important day of the year for Christians, 
because on this day, we commit ourselves again to a new way of life, to a way of life redefined by the risen Son of God. We just can't live like we used to live. He's changed every aspect of our lives. God, the resurrection is not just about God proving to us that he manages the universe and he can do miracles. The resurrection of the Son of God is about discovering a new identity, my new deepest desires, my future, everything about my life is wrapped up in the victory of the Son of God. I am no longer defined by the world, the flesh, or the evil one. Because of Christ, because he lives, right? We live, and we discover life as it was intended to be lived. Now, everybody knows that Christianity includes miracles, right? So, the parting of the Red Sea, the virgin birth, the coming to life of a dead man, and some people get hung up on the miracles. They really get hung up on the miraculous, those kinds of things, and miss the really outrageous miracle at the center of the gospel. Like the most outrageous miracle for you to stumble on is the gospel itself that Paul says in Romans 4, God justifies the ungodly. That's a, now that's a problem. That's a problem worth thinking about. That's a problem worth considering. Could God, in fact, justify the ungodly? Listen, when Jesus walked on water, here's what I'm saying. When Jesus walked on water, that was mere child's play. God can do that. But when God justifies the ungodly, he upsets the entire moral order of the universe. Think about it. You know this. If someone does something incredibly, horribly wrong, they should pay for it. Terrorism, mass shootings. Like you even hear people talking, I hope he gets what he deserves. Isn't that inside of us? Isn't there a call for justice? We all know this. But the Bible says God justifies the ungodly. Like how can God declare someone who's even just a little bit ungodly innocent? That's a problem. How can God treat bad people as if they are now good people, as if they are his? That goes way beyond miracle. That's scandal. Like, are you willing to accept the most amazing miracle of Christianity, the scandal of the gospel? Whether you consider yourself conservative, progressive, liberal, however you define virtue and vice, you do have some kind of working sense of right and wrong. We all do. And you expect God to have a working sense of right and wrong. You expect God to be just. So how can God, if he is perfectly righteous and just, justify anybody? That's the question. 
And according to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant is the answer. For the past several weeks, we've been leading, uh, kind of leading up to Good Friday and Easter. We've been in Isaiah 53, uh, digging into it, meditating on it, thinking about it as a church family. And, and, and we have learned from the prophet, uh, even as most recently as Friday, on Good Friday, that this man, this suffering servant, was, was led to the slaughter as an innocent man, cut off from the land of the living buried in a grave and that's where we stopped on Friday night we stopped there to let it sink in and really ponder is God's justice satisfied in what just happened on the cross and the cross being the high point in that the innocent one died for us, then he, uh, or I guess the, the low point, would <laughs> be the better way to say it, right? The cross is the low point, but he goes lower still, and he's buried in, in a grave. He's buried in a grave, and that's where we left off in verse 9 on Friday night. Isaiah 53, verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked. We're reading the gospel from Isaiah. Isaiah 100, 700 and some odd years before the apostle, before Jesus, before the apostles says they took this suffering servant and they laid him in the grave. But that is not the end of the story, right? On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king. Laid down in grief, but he woke with the keys. The man Jesus Christ laid death in his grave. God, for three days, has been pronouncing death on death. And so the last stanza uh, in Isaiah 53, just to catch you up a little bit, the last stanza is in God's voice. The first stanza was in God's voice. That's the end of chapter 52. The last stanza is in God's voice. And now in verses 10, 11, and 12 of Isaiah 53, God speaks resurrection hope and, and the outworking of the power of the gospel when he says, my servant will rise. And that's what I want to show you this morning. I want to show you three ways that the resurrection confirms the miracle of the gospel. Three ways the resurrection confirms the miracle of the gospel. Jesus answers for my guilt. He grants me his righteousness. And third, he wins me as his own treasure. Think about those with me. Number one. Jesus answers for my guilt. I'm in verse 10. Let me read it to you again. If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, listen to this. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, that's a, a new line, his, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, here's what I want you to focus on. The translation I just read, the ESV says, when he makes his soul. Uh, another legitimate rendering, and one that many think is more accurate, reads, when you make his soul an offering for your guilt. That is to say, when you see the offering of Christ on the cross as yours, when faith comes alive in you, 
and you trust in Jesus' offering for you on the cross, Isaiah, it sounds to me like Isaiah is explicitly inviting you to receive the suffering servant in your place. When you make his soul an offering for you, he's offered himself for your guilt, but you're, you're going to need by faith to say, I'll, I'll take it. I want that. I will receive that offering on my behalf. Let this man, the suffering servant that Isaiah is talking about, be your guilt offering to satisfy God. Let me tell you why. Because you have guilt and you're trying to figure out to do it, what to do with it. Everybody does. Everyone is trying to figure out. How, so here's my question. How are you dealing with guilt? Everyone's trying to figure this out. Everyone has pain they're trying to deal with. Teenagers sometimes cut themselves. Cutting Cutting is a cry for atonement. The depression or the guilt or the loneliness or the, what all that, whatever it is that's, or, or maybe uh, some of you are more sophisticated in the way you're dealing with it, so you go to pills or alcohol. You just heard a beautiful testimony about someone who had found uh, and who, who through addiction was enslaved, trying to find an answer to his guilt and his emptiness. Or maybe your struggle is more secret, like pornography or gambling. You've got a separate phone. You've got a separate bank account. You're, 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 like, you're so far in on gambling. You don't know what's going to happen. Or maybe you're even more sophisticated than any of those, and you have a spending addiction. And because you have wealth, you love to exercise that, and so you spend and spend and spend. You buy things for people, and people feel enslaved to you because you've bought, you're buying your freedom, but it's creating a whole other mechanism for atonement, and it's a disaster on your relationships and you're enslaved, or maybe you don't even have the money, and you're just getting deeper and deeper in debt because your spending addiction is the way you feed your atonement, right? Listen, listen to the word of God this morning. Stop doing those things and throw yourself on the mercy of Christ who wants to be your guilt offering. He wants to be your guilt offering. Stop saying you're not guilty and stop going to all the cheap substitutes and start enacting the gospel in your own life and crying out for him to be your suffering, to be your atonement, to be the way you deal with your guilt. And I want to show you the resurrection and why it matters. In each verse, this is amazing, like 700 years beforehand, Isaiah says, Isaiah speaks, God speaks about this servant. In verse 10, in verse 11, and in verse 12, three times the resurrection is promised. Here it is in verse 10. And it's tied to the guilt offering that Christ is for us. Look at this. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. At the end of, the, of verse 10, it's the will of the Lord to prosper him. What's going on here? He's going to live again. The, 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 the crushing, the atoning, the sacrifice is successful. 
It prospers in God's hands. When God gives the mission to Jesus and Jesus goes and says, I will offer myself as a guilt offering for anyone who will receive it, God promises the success of it, not just that it will happen, but that he will live again, that the Christ will rise again. He, it says, shall see his offspring, that's us, children of God, he shall prolong his days endlessly. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. The whole work of salvation was a massive, massive success, which is why, by the way, the apostles don't go around in the New Testament, as you read the story, the, the apostles don't go around proclaiming supernaturalism about miracles just to prove that God's more powerful than anyone else in the world. That's not the way the gospel goes. They go around and say he rose from the dead to free us from our sin, to declare us able to live a new way of life. It's not just supernaturalism that's at stake, although it certainly is. It's more than that. It's the rescue of your soul. It's the redeeming of a whole created order. Someone prayed earlier this morning out on the plaza, a few of us, and he prayed, oh God, thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. He's making all things new. All things includes you. Don't you want to be made new? Aren't you tired of the guilt and the cheap sacrifices that don't atone for your sin? All right, I gotta watch the clock because yeah, we're, we're gonna do this again, right? Point number two, I gotta keep moving. Point number two. There's more I wanna say about that. If you wanna talk more about point number one, I'm available. Number two, Jesus, this is amazing. So the first part is what he does on the negative side of the formula. Here's, this is the positive side. Jesus grants me something, he gives me something. Uh, the theologians call it the imputation of Christ's righteousness. He credits to us his righteousness. Look at this. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, out of his suffering, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Look at that. Look, look in verse 11, right in the middle of it. What, what, what is it that he has that I need? Righteousness. You see it? Righteousness. I, I can receive someone else's righteousness? Is that possible? Is it possible that I could receive someone else's righteousness that would be credited to my account? Like I can get his perfection credited. Let me ask you this. How are you going to perfect yourself? I ask my kids this all the time. How are you going to perfect yourself? You, you, you're, it's inside of you, you want it, right? How are you going to perfect yourself? How are you gonna realize perfection? Is it gonna be your grades? Is it gonna be your work ethic? Is it gonna be your industry? Is it gonna be the way you impress other people? Is it gonna be your beauty and your outward appearance? Is it gonna be your physical stature? You're the most athletic, amazing person? Is it gonna be, what's it gonna be? How are you gonna perfect yourself? I want you to hear the gospel this morning. You absolutely cannot perfect yourself. Stop trying. Aren't you exhausted from trying to impress everybody? Say hi to everybody? Smile at exactly the right time for everybody? 
Aren't you getting tired of trying to be something you're not? It's exhausting. It is utterly exhausting to try to perfect yourself. And then, and this kind of is tied to last week, trying to be right. Like, I'll just speak for me. If this works for you, put it on. But since I said this last Sunday, that we're constantly working out of the deepest moral impulse of our hearts to make excuses, to be right, to justify ourselves, since since last Sunday, I found myself compulsively still trying to shift the blame. It's crazy. I know I'm the only one up here on Easter Sunday by myself struggling with this. This probably never happened to you. But since last week, since I threw that out, my inner lawyer, my defense lawyer, has not been sleeping. It's crazy. Several times this past week, I just didn't want to be wrong. Like, I didn't want to be seen as wrong. I didn't want to be wrong. How about you? How did that go for you this past week? The next time you have a fight with your spouse or your roommate or your coworkers or you just get angry at someone because you feel wronged, Ask yourself this, why am I so passionate to be found right? Why am I so passionate to justify myself and to make sure they know that I'm right? And we've even perfected how we pout with one another to send a signal. Because we're not going to say it, that would be really ungodly. We're just going to punish people by the way we act for the rest of the day. Next time you have this experience, ask yourself that question. Why am I so passionate to be found right? Is it because I need the triumph? Is it because I'm not sure that I am right with God and His rightness? Listen, when you meet Christ, when you meet Christ and you experience His righteousness, and you know his righteousness credited to your life, it's not just a credit on the account and you'll one day experience it. You start to be freed, absolutely freed, from having to have the last word, have the last statement, be recognized, show yourself to be right. You will be freed. Listen, is anybody here interested in being freed from that defense lawyer who doesn't sleep? Look what verse 11 says. He will, God, listen, God says in verse 11, stop being right. Stop perfecting yourself. Stop impressing me. There's a better way. Let my servant, verse 11, bear your iniquities. Bear all of your inadequacies. Bear all of your wrongs. And let his righteousness come on you like a flood of goodness and rightness. And it'll start to change you. It'll start to change you dramatically. Where's the resurrection in verse 11? This is awesome. I said it's in verse 10, it's verse 11, and it's in verse 12, all three. Look at it in verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see. 
Um, this is Isaiah's word, way of saying, he shall live again. He shall see light. He will not remain in the grave. The grave was verse 9. There's no grave in verse 11. He, out of the anguish of his soul, he will prosper, he will see, he will live, and look at this, look at this last word, and be satisfied. Nothing brings the suffering servant more satisfaction. Let this wash over you this morning. Nothing brings Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of God, more satisfaction than rescuing and redeeming guilty sinners. That's us. Nothing brings him more satisfaction. Out of the anguish of his soul, he will be satisfied. Like the gospel is a success. He is no longer suffering. He is risen, ascended. The end of this stanza in verse 12 says he's interceding and he delights to apply his righteousness to you. He delights in it. So stop resisting that, right? And embrace it. Here's the third thing, and then I'll close. Those of you who have not been to church for a while or just coming back from COVID and all that, be careful when a pastor says he's closing. It's just a trick. He's just getting warmed up. Just thought I'd remind you of that in case you've forgotten it because we haven't been together in a while. Here's the third point. Jesus wins me as his treasure? Here's another thing that you long for. Maybe even some of you, more than longing to be right, you long, probably most of us, more than we long to be right, we long to be what? To be loved. To let someone love us to be the treasure of Christ that's what verse 12 is about verse 12 says therefore I will God this by the way verse uh, the last stanza is in God's voice first stanza at the end of 52 was God's voice the middle stanzas the suffering servant or Isaiah and then this last stanza is God speaking so God says in verse 12 I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. God is saying, I will give to my suffering servant victory. This is the resurrection. Give him victory, and I'm going to give him the people as treasure, as the spoils of the victory. So the cross was a war, and guess who is the spoils of victory? You and I. God treasures us. His suffering servant, Jesus, wins us as his treasure. I will, God says, I will give you to the servant as his treasure. Now, this is why this is so important. Because God knows that you want more than anything to be loved by someone. You heard it in Lindsay's testimony. Can I trust my heart to someone again? Let me tell you something. You can trust your heart to Christ. Now, some of you are like, man, some of you dudes are like, ah, I'm not trusting my heart. I don't, even, I don't even have a heart. Don't need anybody to love me. Listen, my favorite Eagles song, well, one of my favorite Eagles songs, Desperado. You better let somebody love you. 
You better let somebody love you before it's too late. Why don't you go ahead and just say, you know what? I don't need to be the hero. I don't need to be the suffering servant. I'm going to let the suffering servant of God be my hero. I'm going to let the suffering son of God show his love and affection and pour out himself on me. Like I do. Okay, if I confessed, if you got me alone and you broke me down with enough stuff, I would finally admit, yes, I want someone to love me. Why don't you let the Son of God, who was the manliest of all men, why don't you let him love you and be his treasure? You don't have to be everybody's treasure. Let someone make you his treasure who he loves and, and, and loves so much that he's willing to pour out. Listen, look at verse 12. Right in the middle of verse 12, he poured out his soul to death. This ought to get your attention if you're having a hard time letting somebody love you. No man loves another man more than on the battlefield to step in between that bullet and his life and to pour out his soul, right? That's the kind of sacrifice that gets our attention. That's what he did. That's what he did. Let him love you. Jesus has won me as his treasure. Can you say that this morning? Would you say that this morning? Like Jesus, the Son of God. He, resurrection's not just a theoretical, can God supernaturally uh, make Jesus walk on water? Well, maybe it was really shallow there and he wasn't walking on water. Uh, maybe something was happening at the Red Sea. Oh, it was the Reed Sea, so maybe there wasn't a lot. Maybe it's not really a miracle. Listen, I think those really are miracles, but I don't think they're the biggest miracle. I think the biggest miracle that you need to answer a question about this morning is whether or not you will let God in Christ justify your ungodly soul. That's the question. And it's motivated by love. It's free exchange. My iniquity for his righteousness. And he takes my guilt so I can stop living off of cheap substitutes. Will you trust Christ today? I'd like to pray for you. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, I'm gonna voice a prayer right now and I wanna invite you to come and do that with me. Uh, just, just in your heart and mind, go there with me. And I'm gonna lead you in a real simple prayer. It sounds like this. Jesus, I'm tired of loving myself. I'm exhausted from trying to impress and perfect. I do want to let you love me. So by faith, with empty hands, like I come with empty hands, and I want to say by faith, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I want to trust my life into your hands. I believe that you poured out your soul to pay for my sin, and even more than that, to give me life. Like, like Robert said, to live. Like I want to live, so I trust you, Jesus. Give me new life today. 
And for those of you who are renewed believers, you're renewing your faith even today. Jump in on that. Say, Jesus, renew my life in Christ. I want to be redefined, my identity, my loves, my future hope, all bound up in Christ. That's what I want. Make it so. This we pray in the name of the risen, powerful, seated, satisfied Son of God. John, will you lead us? Let's sing in response.